If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Timothy. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. As you're opening up there, um, I want to invite you all to join me uh, tonight at uh, this church here at First Baptist Church of Gadsden at 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock tonight, we'll be having a National Day of Prayer rally. The EBA and some others are putting this on. We're hosting it here tonight. So uh, it shouldn't last long. should be about an hour. Uh, and we'd love for you to come here tonight and pray for our community be a part of the National Day of Prayer service here tonight at 5 o'clock. I hope to, to see you here. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up there to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal but the word of God is not bound therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him we will also live with him if we endure we will also reign with him If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray together. God, would you open our hearts and our minds today to receive your word. And God, my prayer is that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just a few weeks ago, it honestly felt like the whole world was gathered either around their computer screen or around their television watching a great tragedy unfold. And as those flames engulfed the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, on social media and in person, I heard a lot of commentary and a lot of concern over the loss of this structure. And even people who are otherwise secular people, and even us who are Protestants, felt such a concern, an overwhelming sense of loss, especially in the early hours of the fire where it was presumed that the whole structure would be totally lost. I think there was a reason for that reaction besides just that it's a pretty building. I I think it's more than that. I obviously think Notre Dame is more than a pretty building. I think it's a beautiful building. I think it reflects something about who we are and about who God is, more importantly, as we look at architecture like that. But I think a big reason why there was such an overwhelming reaction from so many sectors and so many quarters was the overwhelming realization that so many of us had that Notre Dame burning seemed to represent the loss of something irreplaceable. 
And not just an ancient structure or this amazing example of Gothic architecture or a structure of worship that's been extant for half a millennium. No, it was the, it was the loss of something more. It was representative in so many ways of the, the sort of widespread faith and worldview that's been lost that could even make such a structure possible. It's that it has gone from being something that simply was a picture of what it meant to worship God to something that's a picture of human achievement. Something was lost between the time it was built and today. You see, we live in an age, I, I think, where faith is not assumed in the ways it has been in previous generations. We live in an age where faith is not natural. Now, faith has never been natural. Don't mishear me. Faith has always been a gift from the Lord. But it does seem it feels more difficult today. That sort of generic faith that so many people have that there is a God seems to be eroding in the world today. I encounter people and have throughout my ministry who struggle with believing. And, and the way they would often phrase it, I just struggle with this stuff. And oftentimes they come to me and they seem embarrassed by it. I struggle with this stuff because I'm in the this stuff business and they understand that. It's the stuff I deal with every day. I tell my wife all the time, I just look at her and say, I've got a weird job. You never know what I'm going to be doing in the course of any day. And usually, some level or another, I'm dealing with theology. I'm, I'm dealing with thinking about God. I'm, I'm dealing with talking to you about God. I'm preparing to share with you something about God every single Sunday. And so people are a little embarrassed when they tell the preacher that they might struggle with faith. But listen, I understand. I understand. To, to the point that I, I'm not going to be the kind of preacher and never have been and never want to be who's simply always just going to get up and say, you ought to believe it, and that's that. Now, let me just tell you the truth. At the end of the day, you ought to believe it, and that is that. But I feel like I owe you more than that. I feel like I owe Gadsden more than that. I feel like I owe our unbelieving friends and neighbors more than that because God has given us more than that. God could have just sent John 3.16 down, and that's it, you know, and, and believe or don't. Otherwise, you know, sorry. But no, God has given us the whole of scriptures. And, and over the last four weeks, this being the fourth, we've been in this series called Jesus Revealed where we've been trying to kind of focus on who Jesus of Nazareth really is. Why did he come here? What did he do for us? Why should we believe the resurrection? Does Christianity make sense of the world? And today I want to address this question, why should I trust Jesus? Why should you trust Jesus? This morning, I want to show you three compelling reasons. Three compelling reasons from this text of Scripture why I think you should trust Jesus. And I want to tell you something. These reasons are three reasons I stay a Christian. These are three things that keep me Christian. Some of the means by which God keeps me saved are these beautiful reasons why I believe in Jesus well, I think the Apostle Paul believed in Jesus, and well, I think you ought to believe in Jesus. So three points this morning, three reasons why you should trust in Jesus. Trust Jesus, first of all, for a hope that transcends circumstances. A hope that transcends 
circumstances. So many of us are victims of our circumstances. We are overwhelmed. We are crushed so often by our circumstances. And I'll just go ahead and tell you so many of the conversations I have with people who are wrestling with and struggling with their faith, the number one reason why they're struggling and wrestling with their faith is their own personal circumstances. A close second is people who are struggling with other people's circumstances. You, Whatever situation one finds themselves in, we struggle with it. We struggle with living in a fallen world. We struggle with the consequences of sin that we seem innocent of, that we sometimes have to deal with in our own lives. For so many people in the world today, they are crushed, crushed by their circumstances. Every day you'll see a new study coming out telling how bad people have it. Every day something will come out telling you how bad people have it, how bad our circumstances are. Let me ask you this question today. Does your happiness... And your satisfaction depend on what's going on in your life. Now listen, I understand some days are easier than others. I'm not asking everybody. I don't think the Bible asks you to be gospel robots. I think so often the Christian industry that's kind of cropped up in the last hundred years here in the United States so often sort of tries to make it where everything's saccharine, sweet, and perfect, and everything's beautiful, and nothing's ever wrong. You know, we're always living in this sort of perpetual life of a Thomas Kincaid painting where the snow's just gently falling, and the windows are glowing perfectly, and everyone's sitting there reading their Bibles at home. And that's exactly what your house looks like at night, right? No! No, no, no. We can't go answer the door when the Jehovah's Witnesses come, because none of my kids have clothes on. That's what our house looks like. No, I'm not saying we have to say everything's perfect all the time, that we're always happy. There's room for lament in the life of Christians. There's room for looking around and recognizing things are not the way they should be. There's room for ebb and flow, for highs and lows in the Christian life. And yet, I also say that our happiness and our satisfaction in so many ways is, though, dependent on our circumstances. And we're living in what is more than likely the easiest time to live in human history. And, and in the easiest place to live in human history. Quality of life has never been better. Tim Keller, the great pastor and apologist, says this, In so many ways, human life has been transformed. And yet, though we are unimaginably wealthier and more comfortable than our ancestors, no one is arguing that we are significantly more happy than they were. You'd expect in the world we live in for depression rates and suicide rates and everything else to be going down, and yet they're not. People reflect on their lives saying they're less happy. They're less happy. Now, bear in mind, not, not all depression is related to that. Some depression is something we can't help. And so I always think it's important as a Christian pastor, because we've not always done so great on that in the church, to remind you that not all depression is your fault. Virtually none is. And then, so if you are struggling with clinical depression, something altogether different. But we do see, though, that people seem to be getting less and less happy. What does Paul say, though? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Okay, I'm with you, Paul. As priest to my gospel, for which, what? I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal but the word of god is not bound in other words 
Apostle Paul wouldn't get invited to speak at a conference at Joel Osteen's church. He's not successful. He's bound up in chains. Right? He doesn't have a Learjet he's traveling on. He's shipwrecked, for goodness sake. We can't have him at the Health, Wealth, and Prosperity Conference. Find your destiny 2020 or whatever else. Can't have the Apostle Paul here. He embarrasses us all. What does Paul say? He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may what? Obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In other words, what Paul is saying is that he has an endurance through trials and through suffering that's being produced by the gospel that he has preached. Why? Because Jesus Christ, what does he say? Remember Jesus risen from the dead. And so he says, I'm willing to endure everything. Later, Paul, in, in another book, Paul calls all that he's went through. And I like to, to, to give people a laundry list of all the things Paul went through. Paul had a shipwreck, shipwrecked. I've never been in a shipwreck. Doesn't seem nice. I've been in a car wreck, and that's all the wreck I want to be involved in. No shipwrecks for me. I'm not interested. Paul's shipwrecked. He gets out. He's walking down the beach. He starts to get a little chilly. He decides to warm himself at a fire. You know what happens? He gets bit by a snake. That's where I'm done at that point. You know, Lord, don't you feel like the shipwreck was enough? Here we got a snake biting me too. Paul shakes it into the fire and moves on with his day. Here's the reality. Paul called all that he went through light momentary affliction. Light momentary affliction. Think about this. He was suffering. He was bound with chains as a criminal. And why does he endure everything? He says, for the sake of God's people, so that they too, right? So that they too might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, what? With eternal glory. What is Paul saying? He's saying that he has a hope in Christ that transcends his circumstances. He's in bad shape. Things are not going well. And yet, he endures it, not because he likes going to prison. That's not where Paul wants to be. No, he endures these things. Why? So that the gospel can go forth, so that other people can share the eternal glory of Christ that he has hope in. What the gospel does for us, and why you should put your faith in Jesus, is that you get a new horizon in your life. A new horizon in your life see right now our horizon is stuff that's made of dust stuff that won't last forever we, we tend to keep our noses buried in the dirt we, we tend to constantly be worried about the bills or the kids or the house or the daggum dog or something you know we're just worried about something all the time stuff and what the gospel does is it takes our chin and it lifts it up beyond the sun god takes us and does this and we gain a new perspective and a hope that outlasts this life recognizing then no matter what happens in this world we have a hope that outlasts it and so i hope and pray that you would consider and continue to put your faith in jesus precisely because we need a hope that transcends circumstances the second thing i'd encourage you to consider as you consider faith in Christ, why you should trust Jesus, is Jesus can give you a life that conquers death. 
a life that conquers death. People are trying to act younger and younger. People are trying to act younger and younger. And I think that's because people don't want to be reminded of the fact that one day they're going to die. We don't like to think about death, do we? You You think about the way life's changed for people in the last hundred years and even sooner than that for a lot of folks you know my kids don't know I mean we've had to tell them multiple times I think they forget that chicken comes from chickens and they sure don't know that beef thank the Lord for the word beef right they sure don't know that beef comes from cows or that pork comes from pigs and and, and we and we don't have any sort of connection to the sort of death that has to happen for us to eat and live if you've ever wondered why the the old testament is so careful to talk about blood and to help us understand blood it's because the bible teaches that the life is in the blood and so to show respect for the blood of an animal or, or, or blood is to have respect for life so that's one of the ways that god cultivated his people to have a respect for life is through the the animals they ate being careful with the blood death haunts our world and we've come up with all kinds of ways to avoid thinking about it you see jesus provides for us a life that conquers death but paul says something funny in this little poem the saying is trustworthy for what if we have died with him, we will also live with him. I'll tell you what I would like a lot better. If it just said, we will live with him. That sounds nicer to me. But Paul says something that's hard to swallow. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now, I don't think that what he means is if we die at the end of our life, then we will live with him. Now, that's true. But I don't think it's exactly what he means later. Paul also says in the book of Galatians that some people won't die, that when the Lord appears, some will go straight to be with him. And so I I have a hard time thinking that he must mean there that if you must die to live with Christ physically. I, I think what he's talking about is death to self. The sort of death that Jesus was talking about when he told us to take up our cross. I would argue that the great challenge to faith in most of our lives is the fear of dying to self. There's an agony to belief on the front end. From a seven-year-old to a hardened adult skeptic, the idea of trust and faith in Jesus when you've never trusted him for the first time produces in the soul an authentic fear of having to let go of being in charge. People always say it's a fear of giving up sin. But I don't necessarily always buy that because I don't think people think in such complicated terms. And the Bible makes clear that there's more joy to be found in Christ than there is to be found in sin. So one way, I think really what's so hard to give up is not so much the fun sins or, or whatever else, but instead what's so hard to give up is being in control being Lord of your own life. And yet, what does the Bible say? 
If we have died with him, we will also live with him. That is, the death that haunts us all is only possible to overcome when we die with Christ, when we take up our cross, when we die to self. It is a hard thing to do. It is a hard pill to swallow. But on the other end of dying to self, dying in this life, we have the promise and hope of eternal life. Jesus gives us a life that conquers death. Finally, finally Christ gives us, I think you should trust Jesus, because Jesus gives us a faithfulness we cannot ruin. A faithfulness we cannot ruin. When I was a little boy sometimes, he says it to me now every once in a while, my dad would tell me, son, you could break a steel ball with a rubber mallet. Just mess it up. He was nice. It was was a nice thing. I thought y'all would laugh at that, but anyway, it was... Everybody's just pray, praying for me. Poor Matt. <laughs> you know, I would mess stuff up all the time. I, you know, something I needed to do, needed to mow or something. Every time you mow, the lawnmower break or something. Just mess stuff up, you know. And that's what dads enjoy doing, complaining about the help, free help they've got at their house. And so my dad would say, you know, you could, you could, mess, you could just mess this up. Now, sometimes that's the way I think some of us feel about everything we have in our lives. You just give me long enough, I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> I'm going to wreck this. I'm going to ruin this. I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that the Lord's church could and must do a better job of demonstrating the love and grace that we say we believe in, but I've realized in the last several years that the world is even less gracious and loving than the church. I used to hear the opposite, but that's not the case. There's, there's no such thing as grace in modern rules. And so we, we fear them messing up and that being it, being blackballed forever. I, I've got a beautiful verse for those of you in the room who have messed up. Now, I don't want you to miss verse 12. If we endure, I mean, that means we, we must make it as Christians to the end. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. In other words, if you refuse to trust in Jesus, if you deny him, if you abandon the faith or never put your faith in Jesus in the first time, he will deny you. But listen to verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Think about it. I deny myself all the time. You know what I had to do this morning? I heard one of my sons hollering in the house. He's hollering at his brother. And uh, my wife and I had had some discussions about the fact that there might be a reason why the boys holler sometimes. Might have had an example in that. And I asked Whitney to quit hollering, and, and we moved on. <laughs> no, of course, I... Raise my voice to my kids. Woody did a parenting seminar like last week and told us we can't, you don't need to raise your voice to your kids. So I feel terrible. And then I hear my son hollering. I think, goodness gracious, you know, between Woody and this, what gives? So I heard my son hollering. I had to bring him in there and I said, listen, I know you've probably heard dad raise his voice to try to get something before. Wanting you to behave or wanting something or getting frustrated and you may feel like it's appropriate to, to raise your voice, but we're going to do this together. We're going to quit raising our voice together. 
You okay with that? Yeah. What I recognize is, you know, I've got little souls in my house. And I imperfectly am raising these children. And I'm the preacher. (laughs) You know, you give it to any of us long enough. And we just sit there and think, you know, I can really mess this up. Maybe some of you have had to earn love in your life. You were never good enough for your parents or a spouse or for your own children or for that group that you really wanted to be a part of. Maybe you've messed up yourself time and time again. Your kids, your family, your marriage, your life. Maybe some of you are are perfectionists and you're doing all you can to hold it all together perfectly, but you're spread too thin and you feel like it's all hanging by a thread. Maybe on the outside, it looks like you've got it all together, but deep inside, you're exhausted. And you think, I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to tell you what you need. You need a faithfulness you can't mess up. You need a faithfulness that's not dependent on you doing so good. You need a faithfulness that's dependent on someone else. When we are faithless, when we mess up, when we're not good enough, when we drop the ball, when we're insufficient, when we mess things up, when we break a steel ball with a rubber mallet, we need a faithfulness we can't mess up. And the beauty of it is, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. Why? For He cannot deny Himself. And I'm here this morning to testify to each and every one of you that the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that there is a perfect coherence inside the Godhead. And that Jesus loves you no matter what. And that he came to earth, that he took on flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a sinner's death, that God raised him from the dead in order to demonstrate to you his love and to bring you in newness of life into his kingdom by his grace and through faith and no matter how bad you mess up no matter how bad you've done no matter how worried you are that it's all going to fall apart when it does jesus is there for he cannot deny himself it's not dependent on you it's dependent on him my hope and my prayer is that you would trust Jesus. That you would put your faith in Jesus and receive from Him a faithfulness. A friend that sticks closer to a brother than a brother. A faithfulness that you can't mess up. Because even when we're faithless, He is faithful. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust in Jesus for the first time, I want you to know this morning that if you would turn from your sins in repentance, turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ, I I believe with all my heart, He will save you. You will be saved through repentance and faith in the gospel. This morning, I love for you to put your trust and faith in Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about it if you need someone to talk to. Second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I, I'm trying to put my faith where I need to put it. This altar is open to you today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. Not a perfect church, but we're a church. We'll do our best to point you to Jesus every Sunday. Every Sunday, every week, we'll point you to Christ. I'd love to talk to you today. 
about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, risen from the dead. And Lord, I pray that we would remember him in every aspect of our lives. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here who has business to do with you, that you would move in their hearts and lives even now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.